This is episode 194 of the Rising Man podcast with Stephanie Marco. Men hold the key to unlocking a woman's deepest sexual expression. Welcome back to the show, Rising Man family. Thanks for joining me here today. This is Jetty Azuma, again, checking in here behind the mic for another episode of the Rising Man podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to remind you all, if you're stepping in here for the first time, or if you've been around for a while, but you haven't taken a deeper jump into the Rising Man community, now is the time. And the best way to do it is to go to risingman.org slash ignite and check out our 12-week online course called Ignite that is going to launch you into clarity in your vision, refining your leadership, and figuring out a strategy for you to become the man that you've always wanted to be. This is where the foundations of becoming a rising man are laid out for you. 10 years of the best of the best stuff that I've learned packed into a 12-week course that you can do at your own pace in the rising man community. It's the best way to get your foot in the door. So go to risingman.org slash ignite and get yourself signed up today. Okay, my guest for today is an amazing woman by the name of Stephanie Marco. Stephanie is a native New Yorker who grew up surrounded by violence. In her quest for healing, she's been practicing Eastern studies for 20 years. She's certified in Kundalini and traditional Tantra and holistic health. She uses Tantric, Vedic studies, Kundalini, and Taoism, as well as sacred somatic and regenerative rituals, sexuality practices, yoga, breathwork, NLP, and shadow integration to bring her students into deeper relationship with themselves, their divine purpose, and manifestation power. She believes a life filled with pleasure, wellness, love, and consciousness is every human's birthright. In this episode, Stephanie revealed some critical insights into dark masculinity and our deepest sexual desires. First, she expressed how much women need men in order for them to reach their spiritual goals. She described a women's growth through love and deep healing that is only accessible through sexual healing. We both discussed the truth behind men's dark desire for women, the dominant male who wants to ravish his woman and penetrate her, and why we must rewrite this cultural taboo, and what is the spiritual meaning behind all this. Stephanie talked about men needing to connect our hearts to our penises, and how we are all sexually traumatized in some way, whether it's the way society educated us, shamed us, or otherwise created a destructive sexual narrative. Lastly, Stephanie revealed the legacy of shame we've been passed on from generation to generation regarding sexuality and why it has to stop with this generation. This and so much more, without further ado, Stephanie Marco. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have another wonderful guest joining me here on the podcast today, Miss Stephanie Marco, coming in from Bridgehampton, New York at the moment, recently from being in Thailand. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Thank you so much. It's so great to be yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. We were just having some fun getting to know each other a little bit before we started recording. Realized we have some East Coast, New York connections. So that, many uh, Yeah. But what we're here to talk about today is so much of the topics that you have expertise, expertise in. And so before, before we start opening up all the juicy topics we're going to talk about, I want to ask you this question that I ask everybody on the show. And that is, what does it mean to be a man? Hmm. Well, from a tantric standpoint, I can talk about the divine masculine, but a man is so much more than just divine masculine. He's made up of feminine as well. Mm-hmm. But for me, the definition of a man is humble leadership, one who can take a lead, but also have the wisdom to surround himself with trusted sources. He's leading with an open heart 
and his mission is to open the hearts of others and to protect the sacred feminine, which is essentially this world that we're living in, this, this, these bodies we've incarnated, this planet we've been challenged to walk through. And a man is here to protect the innocent, the vulnerable, and the beautiful. Wow. I love that answer. And in all fairness, I think I told you, I've had about 10, maybe 12 women on the show before. And every time I drop that question, I always feel like I'm dropping a bomb because mm. asking, asking someone who identifies as a woman to tell me and the rest of us, what does it mean to be a man? That's, that can be tricky. Did it, but, it, but you hit, took it right in stride. You're like, I know what a man is and, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you. And, and I loved your definition of it too. The, the humble leadership, that was the first thing that you said that really stood out to me. Where did you learn for yourself that that's what it means to be a man? Seeing so much of the opposite of that, mm. experiencing so much of the opposite of that throughout my life. With my own father, even, I will say. And I love him dearly. He's the coolest guy ever. If you met him, you'd be like, he's so enthusiastic and charismatic and a character and like no one you've ever met. He's such a cool cat. He's so suave. He's got so much swagger. But a lot of that came from ego and needing to prove something in his life, coming up poor and I get it. I have so much compassion for him and I love him. And I've learned to see past a lot of the stuff that really hurt me growing up. But I think growing up in New York City and being around sort of this identification that so many men have to wear this tough guy mask, I really learned at a very early age from all the violence that that created around my life. Mm -hmm. There were other ways to be. And then I was lucky enough to actually meet a lot of male leaders in my career. I was kind of ambitious and I've worked in a lot of really, you know, cool companies and whatnot. And I got to see really great leadership from men. And those men were always empowering other people and so curious about other people. So I, I love that. And I, I can also relate having a very similar experience. A lot of what I've learned about leadership up until the moment I identified the man that I really wanted to be, it was all a research project. It was like a <laughs> big research experiment of what is, how does this guy do being a man? How is this guy focusing on being a man in his life? Starting with my father and my uncles and all the men that I had relationship with growing up. And then reaching a point in my mid twenties where I was looking around and I wasn't impressed by the men that I was seeing. <laughs> I had a number of experiences where I was like, this doesn't, this doesn't line up with what I feel inside. And even though I can inside, I can't really articulate it because I really haven't experienced it yet. And that word humility, humble is the word you use, but humility, that that's a word that has really taken on a greater distinction and a greater a more refined definition over time for me. And mm. I'm interested to hear from you. What, what do you, what does humility look like for you? Mm. I'm interested to know what it looks like for you also. For me, just as a feminine energy woman, I will say humility to me and a man is so sexy because it says that he has so much confidence because I don't think a man can actually be humble if he doesn't have a lot of confidence. I think we see a lot of men playing humble because it's like, you know, kind of fashionable or a way to, you know, kind of have a little angle with women who 
maybe in the spiritual community or, you know, showing a sensitive side, but true humility comes from having the choice to be a cocky jerk because you could be, because you've accomplished things, because you have confidence, because you know who you are as a man, but you choose to take that strength and not abuse it. So it's a man who has strength and chooses to not abuse it. You know, I think we kind of see that like with martial artists are a perfect example, really true like warriors where they've got the weapons and it's their, their absolute last resort. You're definitely speaking my language. I'm also <laughs> a student of the martial art. And I, and I love that because that's that's who I think about too. You know, I think of these masters, you know, these these people, not just men, but people who have spent their lives mastering something, arriving at a stage that ordinary folks would recognize as mastery and still having the, uh, the ability to express, I'm just beginning. I'm just beginning to learn. To me, that's that's an indication of humility. There's also this, this element of, a, a true respect for the the power that comes with being a an influential person that uh, the people I think of that demonstrate this are are folks that say you know I really don't want that responsibility I don't I don't want that that burden but I will take it on because I know in my heart that I'm the right person for the job I'm not touting that around and saying, look at me, look at, look at how much I've, I've gathered and garnered for myself. Look at my accomplishments and achievements. It's more like, man, I wish I didn't have to step up and, and be in this position, but I know that that's my destiny. I know that that's my responsibility. So I will I'm not looking for the, cause we all, I think we all as humans need acknowledgement to a degree, just to, just to confirm from outside of ourselves that we are creating value and, and we're being of service to our community. Otherwise, how do we know? Of course. But not to, not to depend on that to me yes. is an important distinction that gets to be made. And honestly, one that I've, I've learned a lot about in the past 10 years of my life. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, someone who doesn't need the credit and that he, he really, he values the true people in his life who also will tell him when he's messing up mm. on being the people who will give him the credit, you know, <laughs> he doesn't need the masses and, and all of the, you know, the groupies he's got, he's got his core. And those, those are the people that matter. Their opinion matters. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I always like to ask my female guests on the show, what is it that you love and appreciate most about men? Oh God. So many things. I would say the biggest thing I really appreciate about men is that unlike women, when men offer you help, they really want to give it to you. They really want you to say yes. Mm. Whereas women, and I will admit this myself, will say yes. And, and often we want to help. It's not that we don't want to help, but we're kind of hoping you'll say no. <laughs> men are really you guys when you want you really like helping us what men like being of service they love love fixing things solving problems coming stepping up and i think it's something we don't appreciate enough i really appreciate that about men mm, and yeah. that's genuine it's not to kind of like get any credit or you know be pleasing or anything like that. It's really from the heart. That fits along really well with something that I've come to believe in all of my anecdotal research of, of men over the years is that especially, I usually say this when I'm talking about men who have, who have done some really 
nasty, gnarly things in their life, like men who have committed acts of violence, men who have taken advantage of other people, exploited people, you name it, right? Bottom of the barrel types of dudes that even inside of those men, somewhere in their heart, they, they desperately want to be of service. I've yet to meet a man that who I can't see through to his core, who I, I, I trust and believe wants to be of service. And however far he's migrated away from that essential core of himself is just a reflection of the traumas that he's been through in his life, the things he's experienced, the choices that he's made, the reflections he's gotten back from outside of himself over the years. I think that that's, that's really our true north as men is that we do, we want to be of service. We want to give, and we will, we'll, we'll, we'll pour all of ourselves out for someone else. And my wife, oftentimes she kind of, she, she kind of, she'll acknowledge me for that, but it also frustrates her because yeah. I, I, I sign myself up for things and she's like, why are you doing that? Why are you taking on something else? You're already so tired. You're already so spent. And what we've come to in our conversations is that she doesn't get it because she doesn't have that same instinct to be of service that way. And she's yeah. one of the sweetest, most generous people I know. She just doesn't have that in, in her DNA. Yeah. We're, we're different in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, women, we tend to be more pleasing in Mm -hmm. terms of how, you know, when we offer a favor, it's, it's, you know, to kind of look good to the community and, you know, and, and not to say that it's superficial or anything like that. Like, you know, we, we derive a lot of joy from being of service in different ways, but taking that much action isn't really our best state to be in any way. I think it's part of the feminine to receive well. So, you know, but men who I I agree, I've seen a lot of men who have really fallen out of society in one way or another. And at the, at the core of their kind of deep desire inside is to just be of service and to be appreciated for Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, I want to bookmark that for a moment because I want to come circle back around to some of the wounds that you've seen men experience and where you think they come from. But you made a statement right before we started recording. I said, what's something you want to make sure you convey to men who are listening out there? And you said, how much women need men in order for them to reach their spiritual goals? And I just want to hear you say a little bit more about that because that's, that's a really beautiful statement to hear from a woman. Thank you. Many women and men may may agree that like women are typically the ones doing like the spiritual work and are more have been more kind of, I think, in modern society, generally over the past 15 or 20 years doing kind of the self-development world. And women are willing to go to the ends of the earth to figure out how to figure out how to fix ourselves. (laughs) You know, and we think we're broken all the time and women run around with a lot of a narrative that we're broken and we need to fix ourselves and we need to be better. We need to be more perfect. And so men are kind of new in this self-development world or can be to a large degree. But I think sometimes women take this this sort of superiority position with men, if they've done a lot of work that like, you know, well, you need to catch up to me and, or, or, you know, we can do it without you. Cause a lot of these sisterhood circles can be slightly anti-man. And I understand why, you know, like, and I, and I myself have struggled with anger towards men and the masculine, but the bottom line is, is that men are, our other half. We are partners on this planet and we create life together. We create everything together through our love and we need each other. 
And women, I think, need to come to more of a realization of how much we need men and to encourage and to tell men that we need, need them. And the way that we need men is on many levels, but one of the ways that we don't really acknowledge how we need men is our expansion through sexuality, you know, which is a big part of what I teach. I would say it's a big and it's a small part of what I teach because Tantra is about so much more than sex. But when you can grow as a couple with your partner through love, there's so much healing that can be done on such a deep level. And there are so many aspects of sacred sexuality where the man is healing the woman and unlocking her heart and unlocking a deeper expression of love and and spiritual expansion and consciousness through the art of lovemaking. And we cannot do it without men. And we cannot do it without a man's actually a man's dark desire for us, Mm. which is also something that is taboo and that we try to make naughty and dirty and that we both carry shame about men and women. Let's talk about that. Yeah. I have a feeling that's something that men need to men need to hear more about and this, this is a conversation men and women we all need to be having more honest conversations about sexuality and our sexual experiences i know i've when i first got into relationship with my wife it was the first time that i ever had a conversation with a partner about my own sexual insecurities it was terrifying yeah. I, I, everything in my body said what the hell are you thinking don't do that and it opens up such a before we ever even had sex Right before we ever even had sex, we got to have those conversations. And I was 25 years old. I really didn't know what the hell I was doing. Actually, it was a buddy of mine who encouraged me to have that conversation. He's like, "Well, why don't you? You know, you're getting into this con- this relationship with a woman you really care about. Why not tell her about those things instead of trying to mask them? You know, talk about your fear of premature ejaculation. Talk about all of those things and see what she has to say. What do you got to lose?" And I was like, "Well." Really not much, I guess. How brave of you. And look at what the result was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So so anyway, without going into my story too much, I want to hear more about your understanding. You, you talked about men's dark desire for women. Tell, tell me more about that first. Yeah. So, you know, we're all sexually traumatized, whether we have been violated by another person or not. The way that our society that we came up in educates us, shames us, puts us into a narrative that sexuality is about there being a taker and a giver and someone loses something and someone's got to prove something and it's a game and we're objects and, you know, the slew of other negative programs that we have around sex, our bodies, our desires, touching ourselves, you know, all of these things start at such a young age and our parents parents pass their shame on to them and their parents and our parents pass it on to us. And there's still so much of this lingering in our culture because we are so repressed and we are also existing in a pornified ideology of what sexuality, beauty, and intimacy is. So, you know, but when I talk about the dark masculine, people get like, what do you mean? Like, that's shameful. And, and like, it's the thing like that men want to cover up. And it's actually the most innocent, most beautiful form of sexuality. And so when I talk about the dark masculine, I'm talking about the dominant male, the man who wants to ravish 
the woman and mm. kind of get her and, you know, penetrate her. And what that actually is about from a spiritual and elevating standpoint, rather than what it's about from what many men have come to feel shame about, which is like, you know, rape culture, or that's not what I'm talking about. But because men are programmed to think that that desire inside of them means they're bad and they're a rapist or that they're taking something from a woman by force or they have to feel shame about that. When I work with men, we work in a very different way about connect with that's all about connecting their hearts with their penises. Mm. And so a man's desire to penetrate a woman and to go even beyond what she says is like that she can't handle the pleasure anymore Mm. is all about him unlocking her heart. And it's all about him penetrating her heart and unlocking her truth because men don't want to live in a lie with a woman. Mm. And the fact is a woman wants to be unlocked on that level. The biggest, the biggest obstacle a woman will have with a man is accepting how much she wants to give her accepting that she's worthy and that she deserves all of that pleasure. And in sex, that becomes a narrative that plays out. She's like, I cannot like go any deeper with how much pleasure I'm feeling, hmm. but yes, you can. And that's, and when it's done through this heart space, through love, it's infinite. That pleasure is infinite. And the man is literally unlocking the truth that the woman is love hmm. and that her love is infinite and her pleasure is infinite. And he's seeking to constantly create more and more space and to unlock that more and more deeply. And there, my friend, is where the orgasm is, mm-hmm. right? There is where the truth is, like our, that we can be our dark selves and share that depth in a safe space. Yeah. So, I mean, that sounds amazing. And even hearing you describe it, I, I'm I'm obviously reflecting on my own sexual relationship and journey with my wife and partners I've had in the past where that was, that just wasn't accessible at all. It was like, we were, it was like we were wearing costumes the whole time. <laughs> we never really got well, to that's see what people other. do. You know, they dress up in BDSM and are like, I'm so kinky. I can take you, you know, spanking me because I'm such a bad girl. And it's like, they think that that's so adult when it's actually the opposite. Like you're playing a role in a costume and being a teenager when actually, why don't you admit instead of watching these ridiculous vampire movies that you want a dark masculine to penetrate you instead of watching 50 shades of gray, where it's abusive and not actually divine masculine holding this space, sacred sexuality and boring sexuality are not the same thing, (laughs) you know, and people think if it's sacred sexuality that we're like saying prayers and, you know, and tickling each other's toes for three hours or something, you know, and, and there's room for everything Mm -hmm. in sacred sexuality. All of us is welcome. Yeah. It sounds like also it's just honest sexuality. You know, because we have these, we, we have these instincts and these desires. I know I do. And, and, and they come up and they emerge and thinking of how much effort and energy it took for me to withhold those for so many years before I got in relationship with my partner, 
And I just know that there's so many men. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's synonymous with a lot of the stress and overwhelm that men are experiencing, not to, not to take the attention off of sexuality for a moment, but that as a collective, I see men containing and trying to hold what's true inside of ourselves instead of revealing and expressing those parts of ourselves that from what you're saying could actually be expansive and unlocking and of service to other people, including the women in our lives. So in this case where uh, let's just focus on men for a minute, because I love all the things that you said about women. I think that's really important to, for, for, for me as a man to hear that and recognize that women have those desires too. And that it's not, taboo. It's just something we don't talk about. What is, when we talk about mechanically what's required, what does a man do to help a woman get to that place? I'm sure it's not like a cookbook recipe, but what are some Mm -hmm. of those qualities or characteristics that we can, we can bring to the relationship? Oh, there's so many. I mean, you know, I think a very important one for men in terms of men's health and in terms of men reaching a deeper experience with sexuality is semen retention. And that's something a lot of men don't want to hear about because there's a conditioning of addictive behavior around ejaculation and a belief that ejaculation and orgasm are the same thing when they're actually separate functions physically, but they've been combined for men for, you know, decades, you know, with some men and they've been having the same sort of way of releasing. So when men start to hear that conversation, they think you're taking away my pleasure. (laughs) And, and that's, I would never do that, but there are ways to really go beyond that when you start to cultivate it. And again, it's not dogmatic. It's not like this is the right way to have sex or the wrong way, or that you can never ejaculate again, but practicing semen retention will bring a man and a woman deeper into their ability to sustain pleasure and to have different types of orgasms and to not get tired of their sexual relationship. Because often we think that our partner is the reason that we're not turned on anymore. Essentially, we turn ourselves on. We decide what turns us on and it's all a mindset. And so for men, when you're holding that energy, you take on such a different vibe. You start to feel so potent in your actions and in your presence in everything you do as a man because you're not expending that energy and when you can cultivate that discipline within yourself you can really bring your woman into a lot higher states of pleasure for herself and her body and even into states of healing Mm -hmm. so what is it about that state i know you said that 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 the man just feels more potent but what does that actually do for a woman how does that allow a a woman to feel more open and expansive Mm -hmm. Well, we just, I mean, I would just say very basically, we, we take more time than men, you know, mm-hmm. to warm up, you know, so men are like fire and we're <laughs> like water. So we need to like come to a simmer mm-hmm. and <laughs> men are kind of ready to go, but we've got to like, you know, the water has to heat up and, and we have to kind of start to get in the mood. So oftentimes if a man can really control that and sustain his erection, and I think even when a man isn't erect, continuing to have intercourse and not making it a thing. It's not dependent on that. Like just keeping that flow going between you and, and with in Tantra, we don't believe that sex ever begins or ends. We're always in a state of sexual flow. Mm. So that also takes pressure off because it's not like, you know, we live in a society where it's like, 
ejaculation is the end, you know, <laughs> there it is, I, you know, and, and it's so kind of boring after a while. Why should that be? Like, I think what I hear the most from couples who practice this type of sex is that sex is never over. So there's always a possibility. So the exchange becomes so much more playful. There's always kind of this foreplay on the table. And the men I hear, they're like, sex never ends, you know, and it's a, just a very different way to look at life. It's a lot less pressure and keeps you young and, and playful. <laughs> and yeah. you go deeper into orgasms because, you know, the, the more you can explore that a woman's body takes longer to warm up. And so we can have different types of organ, uh, orgasms. You know, our cervix actually moves for a man to be more deeply inside of us, for instance, but that takes some time for us to actually physically open. Mm. So if a man is ejaculating very quickly, then we're never going to reach that understanding in our body. A man's penis is literally a key that unlocks our bodies and, and, and his heart is what it needs to be filtered through to fully unlock us. Mm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I wonder how many people are listening right now. And that that sounds really nice, but they've never experienced that before. Just hearing you describe it, I can, I, again, I can imagine some of my own experiences, uh, specifically with my wife, where I've, I've felt that we've experienced that together. It's like this ineffable, indescribable experience. Uh, so I, I can, I can understand what you're saying. And in my own experience, it's happened because of the type of communication that we've had and having those vulnerable and honest conversations. I mean, I, I, I personally haven't delved too far into the tantric world and this sexual revolution, re-revolution that's happening in our society right now, which that I, I fully support. I think it's, I think it's awesome, but I'm starting to see how it's, it's a, it, sex is a wonderful vehicle for transformation and relationship. Cause if you can have those experiences that with all, I mean, talk about baggage, right? Sexual <laughs> stories is some of the biggest baggage that we carry into relationships for most of us. And if we can have those conversations with our partners, I mean, what else is possible? We can talk about all the other things, right? And some of the most, some of the most uncomfortable things to talk about are, especially for men, the size of our penis, how long we can last during sex. Am I satisfying you? Are you not able to achieve an orgasm? Am I better than the other partners that you've had? All these stories that run through our heads that like you, like you were saying before, it creates more distance, more distance energetically in a time where we're trying to be intimate and close. Yes. And, you know, casual sex stops being so attractive when you recognize like how powerful your sexuality is through the lens of the heart and love and really caring about somebody. It doesn't mean you have to be together forever. It doesn't mean you have to be married, but really choosing partners that you love and love you and mm. that there's a conversation that happens before that that's intimate and there's a trust there completely different experience so it actually brings up something i've got to share because i don't think i've ever shared this on the podcast before but this the the, the other narrative that men are always looking for another partner, right? And that we're always, I mean, cause they, cause, and I've had this conversation with my wife too, where there's, there's like a basic instinct that I have as a man that other men have around procreation. Like it's, it's a real thing. It's a real thing that your body just says, I'm attracted to this person. And, and it, before your mind, before you even know what's happening, your mind starts doing it. And it's almost like the way I think of it metaphorically is it's, it's like going to the bookstore and reading the first 10 pages of a book and then putting it down and saying, well, I wonder what this book's about and going to the next book and reading the next 10 pages, but you never get to all to finish the story. 
And my experience with my wife is like, well, I picked up this book and I decided to sit down and read it. And the more that I read it, the deeper it gets. And just when I think I know what's going to happen in this story, another chapter unravels. And and in this metaphor, I'm speaking specifically about our sexual relationship, that there's, Mm -hmm. I'm surprised at how many layers there are in our sexual relationship. And I can already see the forecast that there's so much more for us. And I'm grateful that I have a partner who's really excited and willing to be in that same conversation. And I think uh, there's so many men out there who are on the precipice of, well, do I get married? I don't know if I'm ready for a long-term committed partner who have no idea what they're missing by not sitting down and actually reading a book all the way through, or, or at least a few more chapters in. It's, <laughs> yes. it's, it's like swipe, 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 swipe. Next one. Yes. Yes. This is, this is the culture we're now in. And, and I love what you said about like this being a revolutionary time because they couldn't agree more. I mean, I even call my company, my company is called the love revolution. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, just because I truly believe that the power of love hasn't even been scratched. The surface mm-hmm. hasn't even been scratched and it's communities and the power of love that is actually going to change this planet and women and men coming together in this way, because there isn't anything stronger and no external power can separate that. And, mm-hmm. and we are, we are being programmed to be afraid of love, to be resistant to love. That's because unloved people spend more money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's very economically sound for the powers that be to keep us broken alone and wanting to look better and be better. They can sell us more stuff we don't need. Mm-hmm. And we can just continue to go from relationship after relationship that's not the cure. You know, it's, it's like an addiction, like everything else that keeps us distracted from the truth. Well, such a wonderful conversation we've had so far. I really appreciate your insights. It's clear that you've, you've really delved into this world all the way in. Know that one of the, one of the topics that we've talked about here on the podcast before is the influence that pornography has had on sex and sexuality. And so I think we all kind of know the baseline of that conversation. Yes, we know that there is a there is a physiological programming that happens from repetitive and frequent use of pornography, especially for, for pleasure. We also, I think a lot of people have spoken about just the violent nature, the, the thematics of porn that tend to be violent and overly dominant in, a, in, in an unhealthy way, different than what you described earlier on. Even even I've like gone back and I've seen some old porn that like from maybe like the 80s and, and it was totally different than the oh. stuff that's out there now. I mean, it, there was oh. actually like a romantic pursuit and it, it was still obviously it was still a little bit taboo and sensationalized for the sake of cinema. But it was different. It wasn't it, it, it was so far from anything that seemed like rape or uh, and a lot of it seems like rape now, just this like hardcore aggressive sex when when do you think it took a turn towards that and why because that's the that's the thing i haven't found an answer for wow that's a really great question i mean i don't consider myself like a connoisseur of porn to be giving like that the the you know timeline but i definitely have seen porn from the 70s and 80s and and thought like oh this is kind of hokey and corny and yeah kind of turned on but it's like also kind of funny where as it is now it's like all of these like really intense themes around a complete lack of intimacy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just like, there's, it's just like violence. And it's, it's very much about like, I almost feel like it's about creating almost like psychosis in people. Like 
you know, such deep shame because it's like, you know, you're telling people if they pick that clip, that that basically is what they like. And so then there's like all of this more shame, but then all of this more like deviant behavior. Oh, that's what I am. Because everyone's like trying to search for what they are through these like really disturbing images. And then kind of on a very subconscious level, determining that's what they like. And even more so that that's what it's supposed to be. I mean, how many children, you know, boys and girls are being educated about sex through porn culture. And if I was a little kid watching porn nowadays, I would be like, I don't want to do that. And then we wonder like why kids are like not having sex, but like, like 13 year old boys are like, you can give me a blow job, but I won't kiss you. Like Mm -hmm. it's disturbing. I honestly think the reason is that we are being cultured away from intimacy. I see men and the reason I love working with men and feel so called to work with men is that men in particular are being programmed by video games and by pornography away from intimacy. Mm -hmm. And it's an easier route for them. Can't blame them. Like it's, it's, they don't have to deal with like, all of the nuance of, of femininity that they don't understand, all of the analog sort of waiting, and they can kind of have their needs met and get on with their day. But like you said, they understand what those, you know, you guys have talked about what the ramifications are of that. I think it's really changing because it's part of a program to be okay with annihilating the feminine, if I'm going to be really perfectly mm-hmm. brutal about it. Yeah. I'm trying to put it all together in my head because there's there's a huge part of it that doesn't make any sense. And I have a daughter. So it definitely, once I had a daughter, it really took on another level of, man, I I don't want to live in a world where the boys who are going to be chasing after my daughter are learning about sex in this way. That doesn't feel, that doesn't feel safe to me. And I think that's, that's ultimately what it comes down to is, is safety. And I think you said it's an easier route. I think it also feels temporarily like a safer route for boys to explore their sexuality and explore their dominance in the, the dark masculine, as you described it alone Mm -hmm. in their bedroom with the door locked. Exactly. No risk. No risk. There's no Mm -hmm. risk to it. Or or there's minimal risk. And I guess the risk is that somebody will see you in your, in your darkness if they, you know, bust in through the door, like your mom or something catching you jerking (laughs) off. But, but really like being able to explore your, your darkness in, in isolation and solitude and pulling this all together and kind of circling back up to 30,000 feet. That's exactly what the medicine is in the work that I do is, well, no, let's, let's open all the doors. In fact, let's, let's burn down the house. And from that fire, let's stand around it and show ourselves to each other in the sexual motif is, is no different than that. So much healing that's happened from men being able to talk to other men. You know, one thing, I don't know if you know this, but men don't often talk about having sex to each other. We, we talk about, oh, like I, I had sex with someone, but the act of it, the, what, what kind of sex are you into? What do you do? Unless it's spoken about in that kind of macho, egoic way. I've rarely been in a conversation with a man who tells me about like the beautiful love he made to his partner and the way that she opened up. Unless he's like one of those dudes that's on that end of the spectrum, you know, that's yeah. just like kind of completely down that rabbit hole. It's not, it's not the average state for men. Yeah. And it's funny because we, as women, we share so much Mm -hmm. in that regard, you know, and I also think that we surprisingly also have a lot of blocks. And I see that with women as well in terms of opening up 
to what it is we really want and not feeling like we have to go along with what the man wants. And I think that's also a really dangerous narrative that a lot of young women get is like that their pleasure doesn't matter or that they don't need to share what they like or know what they like. They just need to be a blow up doll who looks pretty and has all the right parts and can take whatever he wants to do as though she's an object and then also not feel bad about it the next day or be weird mm-hmm. and so dangerous, oh, you know, yeah, it's, it's yeah. just, and I have five nephews and, you know, and they're getting to that age and I'm like, okay, one of them, I'm, I'm like, you know, I saw like he was on my Netflix and like what he was looking at and I'm like, okay, like he's curious about stuff and we may need to have a talk. And I think, you know, the sooner that we can talk to our kids, you know, we first have to get comfortable with the conversation, but then, you know, as soon as we can have really healthy, open conversations with our kids, the better from the earlier ages as, po- as possible, obviously within an appropriate context for the age they are. Right. But this, but sex is such a beautiful thing. It creates life. Our bodies are so beautiful and our sexual energy is the most powerful energy that we have. It subconsciously fuels every idea and impulse we have. And that is why we're taught to ignore it because then we wouldn't give our power away to anything else if we knew that we could have so much empowerment through this energy. Yeah. Again, I'm just thinking of my my own children and the conversations my wife and I have had about how we want, because I, I never had the sex talk with either of my parents. I remember oh, yeah. one awkward moment when I was a teenager in the car and I remember my mom saying to my dad in front of me, you know what, Jamie, that's my dad's name. You know what, Jamie, it's probably about time that you do your duty and have that talk with your son. And my dad just kind of like gruffed him, like, you know, like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, why is she saying this in front of me? Yeah. I, I, I might've already been sexually active at that point. I don't quite remember, but oh wow, yeah. that was like the extent of it, right? So everything I learned about sex was from my friend's older siblings or porn or what my friends were learning, from, you know, learning from, we were teaching each other, right? The blind leading the blind. Totally. Just, you know, the conversations my wife and I have had about this because we're, we're very privy to this type of perspective on raising children and how, how can we actually impact culture, right? And, 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 and traditions. And with, with our kids, we've been talking about, well, let's, let's be really honest, you know, appropriately honest. And we don't know what that looks like exactly. We kind of have to go by our intuition and knowing our children and knowing ourselves, but I don't want to, I don't want to hide the fact that my wife and I have a sexual relationship for my kids. Cause that's what happened in my household. My, when I was sure. growing up Definitely. for all I know, my parents have had sex twice in their whole life. And that was to have myself and my brother. <laughs> you know? That's um, exactly what I thought. My friend, I was like, they've only done it three times. Okay. Yeah. Three times. That's it. Times. Yeah. That's it. Uh, and, and not that we need, and also I mean, not on the enjoy other. It, I'm sure. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah, it was very transactional. It was just to get the job done. Um, but, and, and, to, and not that we need to be having sex in front of our children, but, right. but also not to hide it. Like, yeah, mom and dad are going to, we're, we're, we're making love. We're having sex. We were being intimate with each other and, and, and implanting these we'll healthy one day ideas. We love each other when you find someone you love, you know, like it, it's, and it's, healthy and wonderful way to express your love. Like, and also like you, if someone coming near your body doesn't feel good, you get away from them. Exactly. (laughs) Really having this sovereignty about your body and a, a, a relationship with your body. We're so taught that our mental state and our minds are the intelligence 
And yes, they are to some degree, but from a very early age, we're taught to not listen to our bodies, that we're going to eat when school tells us it's time to eat, that we're going to use the bathroom when they say it's okay for us to use the bathroom, that we're going to sit in this chair and do this thing. Mm -hmm. And this trains us away from the intelligence of our body and feeling. Mm -hmm. And so we have to kind of make make the new education happen. And it's a process, but a really beautiful one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the the fear is that talking about sex and sharing about it at an early age with children is going to prompt them to be more sexually active and even recklessly sexually active. If we, it's mm-hmm. like, if we give them the keys to the car, they're going to want to drive it. Right. Uh, right. And, and to me, I, now that I look back on it, I'm like, well, I was doing that anyway. <laughs> it's, you can't beat biology by, yeah. by not giving me information. You know, the biology is going to going to take care of itself it just just look at what happens to kids when they get out from under their parents roof and go to college for the first time you know and the strictest parents and the most fearful parents usually have the kids who act out the worst in life you go i mean there's no metrics on that that i know of but isn't that the truth i mean (laughs) yeah yeah. i don't have them i don't have the studies but it, it was my experience in high school and college for sure yeah well, Stephanie, I mean, wow, what a, what a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed getting to hear your perspectives on this. And it's, it's so clear that you have a wealth of knowledge and information out there. I love the work that you're doing. And if there's, if there's one part of this human conversation that needs to be addressed, it's our relationship with our sexuality and our sexual relationships with each other. So huge, huge gratitude to the work that you're doing and the, and the, the standard you're setting for that. As, as part of one of the pioneers of that. Before we close out, I have a few lightning style questions I want to have you answer. And then you can just give us all the information on where people can go to work with you. Cause I'm sure they're going to be curious after tuning in here. So you ready for that? Sure. Okay, great. So what is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew back when you were 18? Whew. I'm not so special. Not so special. <laughs> I'm special. Everyone is special and no one is special. <laughs> yeah, I love that. One. Yeah, we're not unique, right? Yeah. Okay, you kind of answered this one, but I'll give you an opportunity to just hit it with one more zinger. What do women need more of from men? Mm, willingness to live in our shoes. And last but not least, what is the one message you have for men about women? Mm, we want the best for you. I hope the guys really take that one in. <laughs> really take that one in. Uh, so tell us where we can find you, follow you, get involved with the amazing work that you're doing with both men and women. Yes. Well, I have five elements of the Awakened Goddess course happening starting on October 15th. And we're going to go for three months meeting every other week. And you can look at information about that on a loverevolution.com, a love revolution. And I will be revamping and relaunching the men's course as well in late November. And maybe you'll be a guest on in that course if it, yeah. if it strikes you. But we have male guests in every module. And in our women's course, we have female teachers in every module. Uh, and it's, it's a rites of passage initiation through the lens of Tantra, working through the archetypes and building community similar to what you're doing. And I'm just so grateful to have met you and to get to know you and to collaborate. Likewise. Wow. Well, uh, we'll be sure to promote those things for you and let everybody know about that. Uh, That course in November sounds really exciting. Yeah. I'd love to be a part of that if I have the opportunity to. And in in the meantime, I'm I'm sure I'd love to have a conversation with you again in the future. I feel like there's still so many stones that we didn't get to flip over, but we'll just have to keep the book open and, and, and do chapter two sometime in the future. Oh, I'd love that. Thank you. 
All right, y'all, make sure you cruise over to risingman.org for access to links and resources relative to this episode and other episodes, as well as all of our amazing programs and opportunities for you to take a deeper plunge into the Rising Man community. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to us and the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Give us a follow on Instagram at Rising Man Movement. Big ups to everybody out there supporting the Rising Man mission, our Rising Man squad, our leadership team, everyone in the Rising Man community and beyond. Thank you for your support and your love. Sending you so much blessings, love, and prayers of gratitude. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.